everybody. My name is Chris Arledge. Welcome to this week's edition of WeRSC's Inside the Trojans Huddle. As most of you probably know, if you've seen our show before, this is a panel discussion where we gather the best available guest commentators. In fairness, price is very much a consideration in that. And then we answer questions about USC football and hope that we know what we're talking about or hope that you know what we're talking about. And sometimes we do. Let's meet today's esteemed panel. First, a WeRSC we columnist who writes the Monday morass, yay or nay, Sunday takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He writes more words per week than William Shakespeare wrote in his entire career, and he does it well. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked on USC. He's a crowd favorite. The irrepressible, the inimitable, the sometimes combative, the always lovable Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, a columnist, a national recruiting guru, producer, moderator of in-season video shows, Four Downs and Five Things. He's an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, a graduate of USC, the studious, the sober-minded, the learned, Eric McKinney. I'm your substitute host. Our, uh, our esteemed leader, for personal reasons, can't be with us today, and so we're going to muddle through without him. A lifelong USC fan spurned by Larry Smith coming out of Lake Elsinore High School because Smith did not want 5'8 defensive backs who could not break 4'8 in the 40. Related, Larry Smith was fired three years later. A former defensive back at William Joe College and arguably the second greatest football mind ever to come out of that esteemed institution. Just behind Bill Snyder, just ahead of Dan Lanning. I write the Musings with Arledge column. I was going to say weekly column. Sometimes it is. Video show Musings with Arledge Solo Edition, graduate of the USC Law School. I'm a trial lawyer in my day job when I'm not wrestling around with USC football stuff. My name's Chris Arledge. All right, folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, we encourage you to uh, click on the like and red subscriber buttons. In fact, I'm going to change that a little bit. Even if you don't like it, I would prefer that you click on the like and the subscriber buttons. I'm going to pause just for a second while you do that. Thank you. Uh, friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, it sounds like we have a fantastic uh, offer for first-time subscribers. One month of WeRSC premium content for only $1. And listen, I read our stuff all the time. I can assure you it's worth a dollar. I don't know if it's worth much more than that. I think it is. But I can promise you it's worth a dollar. Sign up, see for yourself. I think you'll enjoy what's going on, especially – because we have a lot of recruiting stuff going on right now. We're getting close to spring practice. Uh, if you don't do it, if you're not reading it, then you're going to be the only one in your friends group that doesn't know what's going on at USC football. It's going to be embarrassing for you and embarrassing for everybody else. Okay, I think that's it. Guys, we ready to do this? Roll. First quarter. Spring practice will be on us before we know it. Panel. What Trojan will make a major move this offseason? And who really needs to make one? I'm going to mix things up. Eric McKinney, start us off. So I'm going to maybe it's maybe it's not interesting. I'm going to go with the same guy for both the the guy I, I think needs to make a jump and the guy I can see potentially doing it. And it's someone we talked about a lot last year before the season started, and then less. And less and less and less and less through the season. Anthony Lucas came over as a big name 
out of the transfer portal, the same as Barry Alexander. I mean, the, the thought was the two of them are going to come in and just wreak havoc on that defensive line. And Anthony Lucas lost a bunch of weight, tried to play some rush end in the spring, moved to defensive end in the fall, couldn't ever get a fit. Kind of became for us, I think, the, the poster child of mismanagement of defensive talent under the, the previous regime. And so he's a guy where where I could see when Danton Lynn talks about we want defensive line versatility, we want to be able to move guys, we want to do a bunch of stuff with athletic defensive linemen. He jumps out, he jumps out as as a guy to me that you should be able to do something with. So I wanted to give two different guys but if you wanted to throw in importance too, I'd I'd name him again. I, I think he's He's that guy that that covers all of that. You need to get the best out of your most talented defensive players. He ranks up there, I think, just in terms of the the talent that he brings. And so finding a spot for him. And I think that that recharge of a new staff, new kind of responsibilities, a new feeling for that defense, I think that can erase a disappointing 2023 season pretty quickly for a guy like that. So, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go him for, for a bunch of different categories, but those two specifically, I I can see him coming back with a better 2024 than what we saw in 23. So no matter what question I ask, McKinney is going with same thing, starting quarterback, line that up. I got, (laughs) got Anthony Lucas for you. All right. Let me ask you, let me ask you on this. uh, Where is Lucas going to play? Do you think, is he going to have his hand in the dirt? Which of these two defensive line coaches is going to be in charge of, of taking him and turning him into a, an all American. It's interesting because at UCLA, right. There were the two big three fifteen, three twenty pound guys right in the middle. And then the edge guy, the two edge guys were smaller and stood up for the most part. So I, I think Lucas is is one of those edge guys. I just he's not he's not 320. He's not going to get to that point. So I think you can use him on the edge and we've seen in so many defensive schemes that edge guy can go hand in the dirt, can stand up, can do a bunch of different things depending on, you know, his comfort level. But Laisu Latu right at at UCLA he stood up on the outside. He was coming after the quarterback. He was he was rushing all the time. He dropped back occasionally, but you knew what his role was on the outside. I could see I could see maybe that spot um, for Lucas, but but I don't see him at this point. I, who knows? Maybe we show up and and get to see a spring ball, and he's put on forty pounds of you know from from last year, and he is one of those interior guys with, with Bear in there. Uh, but I, I think, I think he's an edge guy. I, I think you use him off, off the edge to get after the quarterback. Mark Holkin, who's your guy? Or if you're going to answer the question properly, the way I asked it, guys. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to the rules here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cheat like Eric. Um, yeah. So I've got Elijah Page as the guy who needs to, um, right off the bat, you need that left tackle. If Miller Moss wants to have one less thing to worry about, it should be his blind side. And I, I think we saw enough of Elijah Page last year that he's got the confidence. I think he knows he's been groomed for that position. And I, I like what I saw from him in the Holiday Bowl. So I, I think he is the must guy who has to step right away. 
Now, to what Eric was really touching on, I agree. Anthony Lucas was my other answer. Um, but I want him inside. Put the 30 to 40 pounds on him. Put his hand back in the dirt. And let him be that violent, aggressive guy. Let Eric Henderson turn him into an NFL defensive lineman. Because I think if you look at what USC is recruiting right now, especially their edge guys, they're bigger. I mean, they're you, you look at their height and, and the their, their body frame and the size, the weight they can add naturally just as they continue to mature. Um, I, I think you're going more for, I don't know if they're going to go true 4-3, but I, I think they're looking for that bigger defensive end type of guy going forward with a Cameron Fountain. So, you know, let's start getting those guys bigger that you already have on the roster. And if you can do that with Anthony Lucas, standing him up, great. To me, just the way he's built, he looks more like a a, a hand-in-the-dirt type of defensive tackle than a defensive edge guy. So that's I'm, He needs to do it because if not, USC's defense is just going to continue to to you know run in peanut butter, and you're not going to get very far. Well, we don't want him running in peanut butter. I think we can all agree on that. No, and we don't want another you know highly rated guy coming to USC. I mean, I'd hate for him to start being getting tagged as the next Corey Foreman. You know, should be able to do whatever he wants on the football field, but hasn't done anything on the football field yet. Yeah. No, look, Anthony Lucas is clearly the the guy this offseason that, that that we want to see big things from. I think Lucas, I think he's an edge guy. I don't think he's I don't think he's an interior guy, but I don't think he's a three-four edge. I think he's a four-three edge, as Mark was alluding to. Uh, you know, more Bruce Smith than than Lawrence Taylor. I don't know that he has the athleticism to be a stand-up guy in a 3-4. But I think as a 4-3 guy with his hand in the dirt, um, uh, I think he probably does have that kind of athleticism and he has that size. And and look, ultimately, um, you, you never know why guys don't perform the way you wanted them to always, right? Some guys you look at them and you say, I'm not sure they have the physical skills. With Anthony Lucas, I think everybody knows he has the physical skills. And in fact, that he can do some things on the field that that are exciting to people. I mean, if you remember last spring, everybody was talking about Anthony Lucas. He was, you know, he's blowing up plays. He's doing this or he's doing that. Then he goes on the field, and frankly, I think he looked a little tentative, a little lost. That's probably Alex Grinch, Grinching, uh, and and it's probably the reason for it. It. it we have now a defensive staff that everybody thinks, and I think they're right about it, is a world-class uh, uh, NCAA defensive staff. They need to be able to take a guy like Anthony Lucas, help him to understand what he needs to be doing, figure out whatever fundamentals are missing, and unleash that guy. If they can't do that, they're not as good as we thought they were, and I suspect they will. Uh, I like all those answers. Uh, Elijah Page um, uh, obviously is uh, is a big, big piece of, of this uh, upcoming offensive line. I'm going to go with a couple other guys, also freshmen, because usually you see the biggest jump from your freshman to sophomore years with guys. Not always, but that's usually where guys really, uh, really, you know, they change physically and they change in terms of their ability to play at a, at a much faster level. Uh, I think you're going to see all four of the freshman uh, wideouts look different next year you saw flashes from all of those guys and you know you saw the 
rare physical skills from Deuce Robinson. You saw the explosiveness and the change of direction um, uh, from Zachariah Branch. You saw, you saw really at the end of the season, maybe the guy that was the most, uh, uh, the most impressive, uh, despite the fact that he weighs less than I do, I think, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, you know, six, four long arms with an ability to go up and, and get the ball uh, Makai Lemon uh, made made some nice plays in the bowl game. These guys are these guys are extraordinarily talented guys who are going to be far better next year than they were this past year, I, I think, and need to be because USC lost a ton of wide receivers, and they need they need all four of those guys to step in and not just play, but step in and and really make critical plays in critical situations because you don't have a Taj Washington or Brendan Rice to throw to this year. So, and I think they will, I'd add to it, Elijah Hughes and Sam Green, who, who I think when you're talking about guys up front, those were guys who were not uh, as highly recruited as USC fans often want them to be right. We always want the five stars, but they jumped off the screen when you watch their, their videos. I think those two guys are going to be, be big time players this coming year. uh, And I'm excited to see it. So anyway, uh, that's where I'm coming from on that. Any thoughts before we move on to the second quarter, guys? Okay. Forever hold your peace. Second quarter. NCAA enforcement, NIL, and the future of college football. A whole bunch of things have been happening over the last couple of weeks, like a whole bunch of things. The NCAA went after Florida State originally. Now it's investigating Tennessee and Florida. Simultaneously, the states, and probably related to that, the states of Tennessee and Virginia filed lawsuits against the NCAA to challenge its ability to enforce the NIL rules that it wants to enforce. You have some prominent college football or uh, college names, including Rick Pitino, saying the NCAA should back off and shouldn't really be involved in this at all because it can't. Then you have the Big Ten and the SEC forming an advisory group to discuss the changes in college sports. And most recently, the National Labor Relations Board has concluded that Dartmouth basketball players are employees of the university. All of those things, I suspect, are leading us a particular direction, but I'm up last. Mark Culkin, where are we headed? What should we make of all of this stuff? Well, you know, you mentioned the SEC and the big conference getting together to kind of advise on what they should should happen. That was essentially them giving the NCAA their vote of confidence support, which means we're going to be hearing the hey, 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 na, 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 goodbye song pretty soon. This is the end of the NCAA. Uh, there is just so much going on. I, it's too much for me to digest. I mean, we were talking about this briefly before we started the show, and it's just like, wow. So Dartmouth has declared their basketball players um, employees. I, I'm assuming that goes across the lines to their football program as well. And that just means eventually USC is going to have a pretty expensive um, employee list, if, if that's going to be the case. I don't know. Uh, I, I think we do know that pretty soon the NCAA is not going to be a part of Division I football, at least with the, the SEC and the big conference. You're going super conferences. And what happens in five years? I have no idea. But college football, college athletics, as we know it, it's it's done. Someone's pulled the plug, and now it's just a matter of you know when this thing dies, and it turn it's recreated into whatever it's going to be. Um, I'm just drag me along with it. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. 
I have no idea other than things are changing. And like like you said, Chris, really quickly. I'm McKinney. You're the WRSC boss and a member of the Football Writers Association of America, which tells me that you must have some really deep and important insights to share on this. Where are we headed? What I'd like to happen, I think that as you see in Big Ten, you start wearing the the fedoras and the gangster era, like pinstripes, pinstripe suits. They start meeting in like the back rooms of bars and, and you go back to kind of prohibition era you know, bootlegging and stuff. And it's those two kind of Hatfield McCoys going at each other. I I think ultimately that's what it becomes. The Big Ten, the SEC are going to take this over. And and I think they become the AFC and the NFC. And you have your two major conferences. People are trying to bail out of the ACC already. You only have four conferences right now. If the ACC starts to disband, the Big 12 is already a group of five conference. You look at those schedules that got put out from the big 12, the idea that the big 12 champion should be on the same level as the sec and the big 10 champion at the end of this season is ridiculous. So you've already, you've, you've lost the five. Now you're trying to say there's four, but there's not, there's two. And so eventually I think, I think it becomes that. I think you have your AFC, whatever it is, the, the big 10, the SEC, if you want to rebrand them, you rebrand them. And then athletes, student athletes are going to become employees of the schools. My hope is that somebody, somebody who understands what they're doing can get in front of this and become the college football president, not the NCAA president, but the college football president who can be proactive in this rather than trying to just react to lawsuits going on where you have a loss. I mean, the, the, you, you mentioned the Dartmouth ruling. We are two minutes away from this thing being halted because an appeal gets launched and then we're going to go every day for half an hour. They're employees. They're not employees. They're employees. They're not employees. Like eventually it's going to get to where they are get something out in front of that and, and get something figured out to where, you know, like like Mark's idea of it's over and it's ending, I know that's kind of what it looks like now, right? The, the framework of things now is not going to be the framework of what it looks like in certainly 10 years, probably five, maybe two, depending on how quickly this stuff goes. So figure out what that looks like and get there. There's always going to be college football. There's always room for it. There's always an appetite for it. So you figure out, you figure out how to get there and, and somebody's, somebody's got to do that. I think Chris is about to come up and say, here's how you do it. Vote for me and then hold up some kind of banner that he's already got printed out, uh, in, in terms of kind of fundraising and all of that for him. So I, Feel free. Here, here we go. Chris Arledge, everybody. I do, accept, I do accept your nomination for college football president. I didn't have a banner. I, I'm too cheap and too lazy to go through that sort of effort. But um, look, I think there are a couple of things that are going on that we need to that that we need to come to terms with. One is that major college football. When I say major college football, I don't even mean Division One. I. I mean at the highest levels of Division One. Major college football, major college basketball are different from every other sport. 
And um, the, the problem that we have right now is that when the NLRB, I don't know about Dartmouth basketball, I'm not sure how much money they make, but I bet they're profitable. But when the, when the NLRB looks at Notre Dame football or Texas football, are they supposed to conclude anything other than this is a major money-making for-profit venture? Look, at the highest levels, these universities make many, many tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars from college football. They make less, but in many cases, still substantial amounts of money from college basketball. They're not amateurs. This is not Little League. This is not the Rec League. This is a professional sport. And so it's going to be very difficult as time goes on for the NCAA and the universities to continue to keep all of the money, which is what they've wanted to do forever, right? That's the whole point. The whole point of the NCAA is to allow the colleges to keep the money. And we rip on the NCAA, and rightly so, because it's a corrupt, disgusting organization. But the NCAA is only the colleges combined who, right, they're the ones that, that set the rules. They choose the people run it. The universities have had this fantastic thing going for decades where they make gigantic sums of money and don't have to share it with the labor because it's amateur. That is gone. But just because it's gone for college football does not mean it's gone for field hockey, right? I mean, those are two completely different things. Field hockey is not a $100 million a year enterprise at the University of Southern California. I'm quite sure they lose money. And so, uh, and so I don't know that the NLRB really needs to decide that, that every athlete in every sport at every university is an employee. When I played football at William Joe College, we didn't make any money. We lost money. Nobody wanted to see us. We were a small school, and we weren't very good. Nobody came to watch. We'd have like 700 people in the stands. It looked like a high school game. Uh, we were not employees. It was, it was really amateur in terms of financial gain, in terms of quality of play. It was amateur. Uh, and so, so there's going to be a breaking away of the major college football basketball programs. They're going to break away from the NCAA because the NCAA is trying to set rules for a bunch of different types of enterprises that are not the same. Ultimately, the reason nobody wants to get ahead of this and and set and set up the rules. The reason that that I'm not going to get elected as college football president, despite the fact that I'm making a stump speech right now, is because colleges don't want to give away 50% of their football revenues. And in every professional sport where you have collective bargaining, that's about where the athletes end up. They get about 50% of the revenues. 50% of the revenues uh, for USC, for Tennessee, for programs like that is many tens of millions of dollars. And the one thing I know from being a litigator for now a very long time, where there's sometimes a lot of money on the line, people don't write big eight-figure checks unless they're absolutely forced to, and they will be dragged to that point kicking and screaming. That's what's happening, but it's going to happen. When it does, we're going to have enforceable rules that make sense. We will sometimes have labor disputes. We will sometimes have strikes. It's going to be a little bit ugly and a little bit messy, but no uglier and messier than it is right now from my perspective. So uh, that's all right. Uh, it will be okay. And yes, there is an appetite for it. You want to say, well, some of these colleges, I mean, they're just going to say, forget it. This doesn't fit the academic mission of the university. Really? 
Because if anybody was going to do that, Stanford was going to do it. And what happened just recently when it looked like Stanford might be locked out of major college football? They went scrambling all the way to the East Coast and said, please take us because we don't want to give this up. If that's Stanford's attitude, that's everybody's attitude. Everybody wants this to go on. It's great for everything. Everybody makes money. When your football team wins, that's free advertising for the, for the academics. When Virginia Tech went to the national title game a couple decades ago with Michael Vick, the next year, applications soared at Virginia Tech. It's good for the university, even if some of the, uh, even if some of the academics don't like it, the people that run the universities do. So the NCAA is going to die. It's going to be replaced by something else. The SEC and the Big Ten are going to lead the way because, as Eric pointed out, um, the Big 12 doesn't have a single blue blood program in it. There are programs that will need to be in whatever whatever turns out, like BYU and Utah and Colorado. Those teams need to be in, in whatever this final thing is. They're major college uh, programs. But there are no blue blood programs in the Big 12. Nobody cares what the Big 12 thinks. Those teams are going to be scrambling to be a part of what are the SEC and the Big 10 decide. The ACC has a few big blood, uh, blue blood programs who are dying to get out. They're doing everything they can to escape the ACC. So the two major conferences are going to set this thing up, and I think things are going to happen quickly, especially with especially with the NLRB uh, uh, deciding that um, you know if Dartmouth basketball players are employees, what do you think that makes about Alabama football players? So it's going to happen relatively soon. I'm telling you, the first time these kids decide to unionize and then go on strike, be the worst thing they ever did. Oh, it may be, although, I don't know. I mean, when when professional don't athletes... Don't mess around go- with Alabama Saturdays, Chris. You don't <laughs> mess around their Saturdays. Hey, when professional athletes go on strike, the fans scream, but they usually come back and, and there's usually a good deal. And look, there's a lot of money to be made, and it's not going to be given up without some fighting. Uh, what the players do, look, the truth is it's, no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to give my thoughts on labor unions. I'm not going to, I will just say that they will have professional uh, negotiators representing them that may or may not care about their interests and may or may not do a particularly good job. But at the end of the day, you will have enforceable rules and they will be enforced and you'll have revenue sharing, which is going to get rid of this silliness where we're calling pay for play NIL. When it's not right, guys that have no guys whose name, image, and likeness have no value whatsoever are getting money under the guise of NIL. That's not what it is. You're being paid to be the second string guard at the University of Alabama. That's what you're being paid for, and there's nothing wrong with that. But and that okay. that becomes really interesting, though. Like, what do you do with what NIL has become? Are you still asking fans for fifty dollars, hundred dollars to? you know, support to, to keep this guy on the roster now that they're getting a paycheck? Do you go back to truly, right, Caleb Williams doing deals with, you know, Aloe Yoga and Dr. Pepper and the, like the, the actual intent of NIL? I think that becomes an, an interesting thing too because you have, you've changed trajectory to now NIL is so important if you go to where, no, no, no. You get, you know, you know, you get a paycheck now from the school for this. Then what happens? I the schools may end up saying, hey, we if we don't have to designate this much money that would normally come to us, 
to the players through NIL. And that thing goes back to just facilities donations and athletic department donations. It'll be interesting. But like you said, it 50, 50%, 50% of revenue is 50% of revenue. And they have never had to split that before. And that, that would be, that'd be a big chunk. That'd be a big chunk yeah. for these schools that do not count on that in their budget. And it's going to be a hit for the, it's going to be a hit for the Olympic sports. It's going to be a hit for the, for the, for the team sports that don't get a lot of fans because right now they're living off the largesse of the football program. Um, but once the football players say, we're, we're going to take 50% of that revenue, that's going to be a problem, but it's really a problem for the universities, right? When you think about it, it at most universities at small colleges, if you have a, if you have a girls, uh, if you have a girls softball team or a boys baseball team, you do not have, a bunch of money from the football program paying for it. The school has to come up with the money, and they do. There's no reason the USC can't come up with enough money to pay for this, uh, to pay for a baseball team outside of outside of the football program. The reason they don't do it is because unlike William Jewell or whatever tiny schools are out there, they don't have to. They can just take it out of the football money. Once that goes away, they're going to have to do something else. They may start cutting programs like Stanford did a few years ago. Even though Stanford has Stanford has more money than Stanford could ever spend, right? They have gigantic sums of money, so much so that they don't even need to charge tuition, and they still cut sports programs. Some schools will do that. They don't have to. It's a choice they're making, and it's not because the football players are finally getting a piece of the hundreds of millions of dollars that they help create. It's because the schools are just cheap, and they want to use the money somewhere else. But it, but it is going to be a hardship for those other programs. Coaching salaries become an interesting thing to watch too. Like, do do they keep climbing up, or, or is your coach making the same amount as your quarterback now? Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, look in the NFL, quarterbacks tend to make more money than the coaches. Yeah, maybe not Belichick, but maybe even in Belichick's case. So, uh, is that likely to happen? Maybe. Look, in the NFL, the quarterback is more valuable than the head coach. I don't know that that's true in college football traditionally. Even a great quarterback is not as valuable as Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, Urban Meyer. They're not. But does that change under the new model? I don't know. But it, once you have a market-based model, the market will figure it out. I know that. Okay, halftime. We've had two big recruiting weekends uh, for USC, and the new USC staff is there uh, trying to wow kids. And uh, we've had kids coming in from all over the country, big-time guys from the South, from other places. Uh, the new defensive staff, including Eric Henderson, are there making waves. So let's start with you, Mark. Uh, what are you hearing? Uh, what are you hearing right now about the two recruiting weekends? And then tell us what are the realistic outcomes for USC in the 2025 class? USC has not recruited at a Pete Carroll level the first couple of years that Lincoln Riley's been here. Should we expect that to start, or should we continue to expect USC to be somewhere around 12, 13, 14, and we're just going to have to learn to like it? What do you think? Well, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the recruiting class rankings to begin with, so I, I kind of just play along because everybody likes to to win that mythical national championship and you know, get that top 10 class. Now, the, the, these kids who have been coming out these last couple of junior days, the fact that they're coming out means USC has a foot in the door. I mean, that's the kind of, you know, pull that Eric Henderson has been able to to kind of use so far. Lincoln Riley went out, they, he backed up the Brinks truck, and USC brought in a great defensive staff, top to bottom. 
I don't think anybody's complaining about the, any of the changes he's made with his, you know, his his personnel as far as the staff is concerned. Um, you, you had players who canceled previous plans to come to USC for this junior day. So they USC has their, their attention. And you have Eric Henderson, who is well-known, if you're talking about defensive linemen, um, it's still going to take some work to, to get these guys to, to maybe come back again. Uh, you have guys who are committed, you know, like a, a Brandon Brown. He's he's committed to Texas right now. Um, but, you know, he's from the state of Florida, and he's showing serious interest in coming to USC. So that's what Eric Henderson can do, you know, if we want to just kind of focus on the defensive line, because I think that's where USC needs most of their work. The fact that USC has their foot in the door, these kids are listening, they're canceling trips to come out to USC, that's a great first step. We saw a whole lot of momentum last year in June. You know, USC had those June bashes, beach bashes, whatever you want to call them. People were, you know, committing hand over fist. Well, the results didn't show up at the end of the year because USC wasn't winning games. So regardless of Eric Henderson and he brought in his little sidekick, Skylar Jones, to help him out with the defensive line, again, another bonus. Unless, unless USC wins on the field, I don't care how many rings and how many Super Bowl trophies USC trots out, it's not going to make a difference. So you've got everybody's attention. They're noticing that USC is making an investment on their defensive side of the ball. Lincoln Riley has mea culpa that, yeah, you know what? I own it. I got to do better. Great. Start showing it on the field because if they're winning, come the, when the fall rolls around, all these guys who are saying, yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait to see what USC is doing. That's when I'll get excited, when they start actually committing and then signing, signing their names in that early signing period. So it's great right now. I think it's awesome but I'm not going to put the cart in front of the horse. I've seen this movie before. A lot of enthusiasm, a lot of momentum, only to kind of stumble at the end. All right, Eric, put the cart in front of the horse. I, I had I, said you were is, a- I think he's talking about Ben-Hur, right? The movie with the cart and the horse and stuff, maybe? Uh, I don't know if that's a full cart. horses, I think. So, so Coach Henny, right? Coach Henny, yeah. Eric Henderson. That's that's he's the buzz. He's the buzz. He can hold up the Lombardi Trophy. He can say this the this mouth coached Aaron Donald, right? I told Aaron Donald what to do. That's why he was successful. Now he's not. It's not exactly like that, right? Like he's not taking that credit, but he has coached some big time NFL guys. And what we've seen is these recruits believe in the development skills of this defensive staff. They have seen these guys have been around NFL guys. They've coached NFL guys. They've coached college guys who are now going to be drafted into the NFL. They understand what it takes. And there's a, there's a much stronger belief in the ability of this staff. Mark's right. You're not all, all the way there. You've got like the boulder teetering, on the edge of the cliff, you have to push it over during the season. You have to prove that, yes, what they've done previously now works at USC. All of that stuff is meshing together. You can have the success that they've had with other guys at USC. And that's where it all comes together. That that boulder has been sitting there 
for like six years now. They've been talking about, we're going to play good defense. We're going to do this. We're going to get this done. We're going to get this done. Every single offseason, it feels like, boy, USC has is saying all the right stuff. They've got a bunch of momentum. They just have to show it on the field. And then we get to the field, and it's like, no, 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 don't watch that. We'll try it again next year. And so that's that's where you are again. But I would say maybe the maybe the boulder's bigger, right? It's it can it can cause more damage if USC can really get it going because of what these guys have done at other stops, and because you're hearing more seven on seven coaches, mentors, high school coaches have a a deeper uh and more steadfast belief in the ability of these defensive coaches to really develop and coach and teach football and get guys to the next level. So when you're fishing out in Alabama and Florida and Georgia, that's a long line. There's a lot of there's a lot of ways that you can get hung up when you try to pull that all the way back to California. So it's going to be tough based on those guys, but you're you're in their head more than you have been you're going to get more of a push from local high school coaches, Southern California high school coaches that are going to start believing, okay, they're serious about playing all aspects of football. It's not just, I'm okay with my wide receivers going to USC. I can send linebackers. I can send defensive linemen. They're going to get coached up there. And that's, that's different. That's a, that's a little bit different feel this off season. So again, nothing, nothing's happened. Uh, I will say the, the chance to finish up, um, chance to finish up the, the 2024 class, right? Signing day is on Wednesday, which I don't know how deep we're into this. And we just mentioned signing day, which, you know, shows you how much the December period has completely swamped anything that goes on in, in February, but Mana, right? Uh, Manu, uh, Bulabulava, Bulabulavu, who came in on an official visit. He'd signed with Washington, a defensive lineman, three-star guy, originally from Northern California, goes to school in, in Carlsbad in, in Southern California now. One of those guys that was good enough for Washington to go all in on him and sign him, and he was going to go. He was going to be one of those guys that, that went up to Washington and was a terror against USC for three, four years that he played there. Utah, USC, now the finalist for him. USC seemed to do a, a really good job, again, pitching that, that we, you know, we've coached NFL guys. We know what it looks like, the connection, all that with that new staff. So this visit weekend, it's going to do a lot, I think, for 2025 eventually, potentially wrap up, help wrap up your 2024 class. And again, it, it sounds, it sounds good right now. There's, there's a belief that they can get it done. We're still going to be, I think discussing August, September, what does it look like? How are we doing? So again, we're, we'll, we'll keep all the horses in, in front of the carts at this point. Yeah. I, look, if Kyle Whittingham really wants a defensive lineman, that's probably a guy we want to, right? I mean, he, he's, he's been as good at, at anybody as finding guys in the, in the Western half of the United States that are a little bit undervalued and turning them into really good football players. Um, so a few things, um, Mark talked about the, the, the mythical recruiting title. I, I would say this, it's certainly the case that with individual recruits, the stars they're, they're given don't necessarily mean very much. 
with individual players. I've always believed that. But it's not a mistake or it's not uh, an accident that Pete Carroll and Nick Saban and Urban Meyer and guys like that tended to always have top three recruiting classes because it's easier to be a really good coach if you have really good players. And if you have a bunch of four and five star players, you probably got some good football players. Yes, you're going to have a Whitney Lewis in there, but you're also going to have a Reggie Bush in there from time to time. I mean, it's it, it, it does matter. And USC has not been recruiting at that level under Lincoln Riley. And I think, frankly, I'm shocked by it. I thought when he was hired, I thought this is top five classes as far as the eye can see. USC is going to be loaded with talent. Uh, USC does have some talent, but they, they're not Alabama or Georgia talented, and, they're not, and they haven't been recruiting like Alabama or Georgia. USC fans point to NIL, and NIL is an issue. USC thinks they're close to fixing that problem. Spencer Harris says, we're going to be all right. We've got, uh, the, we have the budget, which is what the coaches said they needed, and we're going to meet it in 2024. Great. If we're competitive in, in NIL, that takes away that potential issue. Some guys are going to take the most they can get, but most players won't. Yes, they want to get paid. They don't want to get, they don't want to get next to nothing when, uh, when other schools are offering them hundreds of thousands of dollars. But that's not the only thing they care about. And the, the other things they care about are things that USC has not been very good at. Um, Eric said for the last six years, maybe that was being nice to USC. It may be even longer than that. The truth is, if I'm a high school football coach and I don't love USC the way I love USC, am I steering my guys to USC under Clay Helton? Why? Do I hate them? Do I want to ruin their careers? I mean... It's possible to play for Clay Helton and, and, and become a good football player and get drafted, but it's also highly likely that if you go there, you're not going to know what you're doing and you're going to get embarrassed on Saturdays and you're not going to be developed. And then when Lincoln Riley comes in and he keeps Alex Grinch for two years and you watch the defense run around and it's worse than anything we ever saw under Clay Helton, if I'm a high school football coach, I have deep concerns about that. If I'm a parent, I have deep concerns about that. Lincoln Riley has finally done what he needed to do. He has actually gone all in on putting together the very best defensive staff you can find. That will pay dividends. Does it mean USC is going to make the playoff this year? I'm not saying that. It's possible, but I'm not saying they will. What I am saying is you're going to see a defense that plays differently than past USC defenses. And you're going to, and, and players are going to see that. Uh, that USC is actually a team that coaches football on both sides of the ball for the first time in a long time. Players want that. Defensive players want to be developed. Offensive players don't want to lose 45 to 42. They don't want to go 7 and 5. They want to win. They want to play in big games. They want to go to the playoff. If you're the top quarterback in the nation, which USC currently has a, a, a verbal commitment from, you want, to win an, you want to win a Heisman Trophy, and you don't win Heisman Trophies if you lose four games. USC has, to, USC has to coach defense and play defense, even if they just want to land big-time offensive guys. I think that's going to happen this year. In fact, you know what? Let's go on record. I, you guys don't even get to know what, the, what USC's final record is. You don't get to know anything. You're going to go on record right now. Mark Culkin? Give me USC's final recruiting ranking in 2025 with high school players. Do it. What's it going to be? 11. Okay. Pessimist. McKinney. Seven. 
It's going to be four, uh, and we're going to like it. Okay. That's it. And you've got them in the playoff. This is this was a segment, man. This was a no, no, news, no. newsworthy no, no, no. segment here. I, I said I'm no, I heard. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard what you said. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, Chris. Well, you and I actually agree. We just say it differently. You, I don't like the star rankings, but we both agree that if Pete Carroll, if USC and Alabama and Georgia and name Ohio State are recruiting you, you're a good player. That's how players in classes should be ranked. You've reached Alabama level. You've reached USC level. Whatever that is, it's that's not right. a star ranking. I care that's about right. which coaches. Recruiting and if you win enough of those recruiting battles for guys that everybody wants, then you're going to have a high-ranked recruiting class. But just because a guy is a three-star instead of a five-star, look, if if Kalen DeBoer and Kyle Whittingham want to want a guy who is a really productive high school player and has the size that makes you think he can play uh, college football, that sounds like a good guy. And, and you're going to have guys on the message board that say, oh, he's a three-star, another three-star. Yeah, but he's a three-star that Kyle Whittingham wanted. And Kyle Whittingham is the best at finding three-star guys and turning them into guys that USC can't block. I mean, he's the best at that. So, you know, if Whittingham wants him, I want him. All right, enough of that. Listen, friends, we again strong. I sound like uh, Jim Nance when I say that. I'm only copying Greg. This is this is what he encourages us to say. Go we go strongly... with we're looking live. Can we can we do that on a on a tape delay show? That's right. <laughs> Look. We encourage those of you watching inside the Trojans huddle on sites like YouTube to click the like and red, red subscriber buttons. I said it once, but apparently we care a lot because I'm saying it twice. Please do that. Please sign up, especially with this, look, I, this $1 deal, $1. If you're not doing that, if you are not a WRC, WRC premium subscriber next week at this time, even at those absurdly low rates, you really need to reassess your current life plans. I have, I have concerns about you. Just get it done, all right? McKinney wants you to get it done. All right, third quarter. College football's remaining traditions. So college football tradition seems to be a thing of the past. Rose Bowl doesn't matter. Rivalries don't matter. They're falling to the left and to the right. This is kind of a problem because if you would have asked me 20 years ago what the best thing is about college football, I would have told you college football traditions. So... Guys, are there some college football traditions that still need to be protected? What should we do to save those? And give me your favorite USC and non-USC college football traditions. Uh, McKinney, you're up. So I can appreciate that the Big Ten went all in with protecting the rivalry games, right? I I think that is absolutely key. You're going to eventually get these conferences that have – 25 teams in them, 26 teams in them. USC has to play UCLA every year. USC has to play Notre Dame every year. And and those are those are big. I I I think that those always need to go. The fact that Oklahoma, I mean Oklahoma is not going to play Oklahoma State this year. You had the Texas I know there, literally reading my notes. <laughs> you had the Texas I can I can actually See, see him down. Uh, yeah, the the Texas Texas A and M split for a while. So I, I think that those regular season games, uh, they they still matter, and you still have to play those. There's there's so much about the expanded playoff is going to kill the regular season. I don't know if we know that. There's going to be some years 
where we absolutely have a big game in the regular season that turns out not to matter. Both both those teams got in. It, it didn't shake anything up in the rankings. But we're also going to have years where the regular season absolutely matters, and a game there is huge in terms of making the playoff or or not. It's just how it's always been. You look back at at the BCS. Some years it was super easy. Some years it was incredibly difficult. That's how it works. But I think preserving all of those um all of those games. I can't I mean I can't imagine a USC regular season that that doesn't have doesn't have UCLA and and Notre Dame uh on that. So so I think those are really keys that need to be um protected i my favorite i was trying to think favorite usc non-usc tradition i'll go non-usc tradition and one that i i i would love usc to to grab and i i know we we get into this later my favorite non-usc tradition is is the jump around right between third and fourth quarter at wisconsin i i love what i love i love the energy there um, my favorite USC one, honestly, it's it's not a tradition. It's just the feel of the beginning of the game, right? First couple notes of the band coming out. All the I, I when I was at school, and I, I'm I'm not trying to you know all the way back or anything, but we still had the pom poms going, right? Like you you still saw all the cardinal and gold pom poms going in the crowd, the the victory signs, all of that, that feel of like a USC day game at the Coliseum with the band starting to take the field. That is, that is big time. That is big time college football. And my hope is that starting here going forward, that, that really means something. And that rivals some of the best feels in college football that you get. Hey, Mark, should I call on you or should we just skip you? Because Eric gave all of your answers. Literally, literally. I had well, no ready to go. And look, here's the thing though. This makes the show really efficient. If he just says everything you were going to say, I can just call on one of you. I don't have to call on both of you. Maybe gives me a few extra minutes. I don't know. But uh, I've got go it. Ahead. I've got his notes password. I didn't want to tell him till the end of the show, but that that's what I went with. So, All right, Mark. If you have anything to add, add it. What I will add um, is the fact that the rivalries. And last week we had a spirited discussion about out of conference schedules, and you know toughness versus week schedules and making the playoffs. It kind of sounds like everybody's going to be playing a tougher schedule going forward when we go to the AFC-NFC protocol that Eric alluded to earlier in the show. So um, I was right. Uh, We should maintain rivalries and keep Cal and Stanford along with UCLA and Notre Dame. Uh, I'm with Eric, 100%. Jump around. And USC should do it this year. But not in the fourth quarter. They just should, they should screw with whiskey fans. Do it at the beginning of the second half. When the USC team comes back out of the tunnel, that's when they should do jump around. My favorite USC tradition that they need to figure out because, again, Eric talked about the the shakers. There's a lot of tradition in the Big Ten country. I would love to have the We Are SC chant and the SoCal spell out done. Number one, correctly. Number two, more importantly when there are still enough fans left in the stadium for it to actually sound good. So yeah, let's, uh, let's figure that out. But thanks Eric for um, answering the question for me. I like, why don't you get started? The we are SC chant, I think between 
The first USC touchdown, right? The extra point goes through and it's all the way until the kickoff, right? That, that whole gap. And that's it. Every, every game. Get started. No, absolutely. It's just when they finally get to it, it's the end of the game. And, you know, USC games are attended moderately, I guess is the best way to put it. So at the end of the game, when everyone's trying to beat the, the traffic, it doesn't sound good. It's just, it's an echo of we are SC. You don't hear it. Figure it out. Yeah. Well, I think Mark has a looser interpretation of the word rivalry than I do. I, I don't count Cal and Stanford as rivals. They are important. They're important opponents for USC for a long time. And, and, uh, and I'm all in favor. I don't, I don't think we need to go there again. I, I, I do think, though, that protecting the rivalries is really important. You mentioned, uh, Eric mentioned Texas and Texas A&M, which was scrapped for a while. OU's not going to play Oklahoma State. They haven't played Nebraska in a long time. Um, Oklahoma-Nebraska was arguably the best rivalry in college football for a couple of decades. Um, for that to be lost was, was huge. And the crazy thing is it didn't have to be lost. They went to new conferences. They still play out-of-conference games. The reason it was lost is because everybody was mad at Nebraska for leaving, number one. And number two, because those two schools didn't want to lock themselves into a difficult non-conference game that they'd have to play every year. There will be pressure on USC and Notre Dame when uh, when USC is already lining up all of these Big Ten schools that are difficult uh, to not play that game. I think most USC fans, and I think USC uh, and the people that run it, understand the importance of that tradition. But you hear it even now from some USC fans. We should scrap the Notre Dame game because, you know, it makes it hard to make the playoffs. They make the playoffs. First of all, we haven't made the playoffs ever. And while I think USC is likely to do that over the next five or ten years, hopefully multiple times, I wouldn't give up the most important tradition for USC football just to make it easier to make a playoff. That's ridiculous. Uh, you have to save these series. Uh, and and the traditions go with it. Now, the truth is, the individual traditions that the individual schools have. If you've been to, if you go to USC games, you know you know what the USC traditions are. Uh, you go to a Notre Dame game, uh, you see the you know the honor guard and the fight song and the way they do things. It's fantastic. The schools will be able to maintain these. One thing that I worry about a little bit in the new uh, in the new era of college football, where you have uh, we have guys jumping around schools, and, uh, and a lot of times they don't spend much time in any particular university. Is that is that while the fans may still care and the universities may still care, the players on the field may not care that much about the rivalries and the traditions. And and if so, you're losing something important. It's sort of like rivalries in the NFL. You know, you can talk about the the Bears and the Packers or whatever you want to talk about. I don't think the guys that play for those two franchises, I don't think they care about that at all. Or certainly not the way USC and UCLA guys care about their rivalry, right? Because they're just, they're there for a, a season or two. They may play for the other team. They may jump into the AFC. We're going to lose something if we don't find a way to make it where the guys that play at USC understand, respect, and love USC traditions and USC rivalry. Uh, and I know Lincoln Riley is still fairly new to USC, uh, but Lincoln, it matters, right? If your guys don't show up to play against UCLA, that's a problem. It's a problem if you don't show up to play against anybody. 
But if you don't show up to play against UCLA, that is a problem. And you are uh, and you are kicking mud all over the history of USC football when that happens. You better figure out a way to get your guys to understand it. I, I know that a lot of your guys aren't from California. Some of them weren't on this uh, a part of this program until their junior year in college. I get all that. Find a way. Find a way. Because the guys need to understand how important that is. And it did not look last year like they understood how important it was. We taught, I, I don't want to call out, this is not to call out Marshawn Lloyd. He just happens to be the example because he became a guy that talked after practices when the offense went. Notre Dame week and UCLA week, he was one of the guys that talked and, and people asked, like, hey, what do you think about the game? What he didn't really didn't really have any anything about it. And again, I don't blame him for that. He's like a DC guy that went to school in South Carolina, came over to USC because Kyle McDonald's a great coach, a great recruiter. That offense was going to be phenomenal. He was going to be able to play there and go to the NFL. And that's a path that's getting pitched to a lot of these guys and and not not just at USC, everywhere, right? Come play your last year here. We can set you up to go to the NFL. They do that. That's go that is is the way that they go. Marshawn Lloyd had a great year. Looks like he's going to go pretty high for a running back in, in the draft. Did really well. Fan favorite. But you you said it exactly. So many of these guys, that gets lost in that that path that so many of them are taking now. And it's, it's a byproduct of it, byproduct of it because you want to go get – you still want to go get the best talent. And a lot of times that talent doesn't – doesn't have the background that some of the guys that grew up knowing the rivalries have. That's a lot of credit because he used to te- make his uh, players take a test every year before the USC game. That's right. I was going to say the same thing. And, and I know Pete Carroll used to talk about how he wants, you know, he wants to treat every game the same. And I understand that, but, but there is something to Lou Holtz's method in that your guys need to understand how important it is. And whether it's whether it's taking a test or whether you want to bring back Ronnie Lott and ask Ronnie, hey Ronnie, should we care about the UCLA game? And he can and he can tell people what he thinks about that. You need to find a way. It's not okay for USC football players to not understand or care about the most important rivalries in USC football. And Lincoln Riley needs to fix that. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but he needs to. And 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 listen, Pete Carroll may have said that he wanted to treat every single game the same, but Pete Carroll's guys knew when it was Notre Dame or UCLA week, and they freaking showed up to play, right? They did. They showed up to play. It mattered to them. It needs to matter to them. Yeah, Pete Carroll invited Marv Goo in to, to tell the story. I mean, yeah. when he told the story, he, he had the player's attention. I mean, he was an emotional dude. You you have plenty of you have plenty of people you could bring back to explain to your guys. Look, you could probably get Ed Orgeron to come back. He'd probably be willing to show up and uh, rip his shirt off and tell people what they should think about playing the Irish. Um, there are ways you can do it, but you need to do it. Yeah. Uh, okay, fourth quarter. Usually, the fourth quarter is when we have viewers' questions. We don't have any viewer questions because in Greg's absence, we didn't ask it. So. We're going to do something different today. We're going to have Arledge's questions, which will probably be far worse than the viewers' questions, but that's what we've got. You're going to, you got to roll with what you have, gentlemen. So here's what we're going to do. I have 10 questions for you. 
You have 20 seconds to answer each one. Don't take 21. I will cut off your mic. All right? Now, because we bind to Pete Carroll's always compete motto, the winner of each round gets one point. At the end, there will be a prize. Here's your prize, gentlemen. This USC hat signed by the legendary John Robinson. He signed it to Chris, sadly. So it probably matters more to me than it does to you. Fortunately, I am not only a participant, I am also the judge. So there's a decent chance that will still be sitting there when we're finished. Are you ready? Whoa. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I should have read that paragraph in, in what we got to send. I, I got to tell you, there's a, lot, there's a lot of text together. I skipped over it. But uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm focused. Now I'm going to do a quick walkthrough, get my bearings, and, and then we're, we're good to go. Hey McKinney, you're like a, you're like a guy who doesn't understand his team's important rivalry. It's, it's cl- I, I just transferred in. I'm sorry. All right, all right. So here we go. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go back and forth. Um, number one, sneakiest game on USC's 2024 schedule. The one that sounds like it should be easy, but may not be. Uh, Mark, you go first. Yeah. So USC is coming home after a big win over LSU in Vegas. This might be a little bit of a letdown game. Pig Farmer coming back to town. Utah State. Utah State. Uh, Eric McKinney, is it Utah State? It's not Utah State. Can we get Mark's third this round, right? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say at Maryland. So you've got Penn State at home. Maryland is going to be your third cross country trip. If they stick that thing early in the morning, uh, you've been at Michigan, home at Wisconsin, at Minnesota, home to Penn State. That's the the one that looks like an easy win right off the bat, but I, so so I think that falls in the the trap category. Yeah, Eric got it right. Eric gets a point. One nothing, Eric. After round one, don't complain, Mark. You'll lose points. Number two. <laughs> I, I was going to give the same answer and the same and and the same logic because Eric beat me. He just gets a point. I don't even get to participate in the first round. Number two, most overrated rock band of all time, Eric McKinney. You start. I'm not going to win this. I'm going to say the Rolling Stones, and I, I'm sorry to Chris. I know, I know. Move on. Mark That's Hulkin, me. Most, most overrated rock band of all time. Well, I, I could give the answer that I know would tick you off to all ends. So Don't I'm going to do go, it. Don't do it. I'm going to go with CCR, John Fogarty. His voice just bugged the hell out of me. Yeah, but Chris, he thinks the Beatles. I just want to let you know yeah. that. I know. That's what he was going to say. He didn't say it, but he still is going to lose a point this round because he thought it. No, the, the answer, guys, is Nirvana. And, and that doesn't mean Nirvana, Nirvana's not great. I think you have to be great to be the most overrated. Like, if one of you would have said Def Leppard, I would have said, <laughs> nobody thinks they're great. The answer is Nirvana. Nirvana wasn't even the best grunge band from Seattle at that time. Pearl Jam is a better band than Nirvana. So the answer is Nirvana. That's one point for me and a minus one for Mark. So the score after two rounds is one, one, and minus one. Number three, most underrated play. You should have used the money you saved on the political banner to get a scoreboard for this round, I I think. I should have. Well, I mean, I'm a substitute. You know, substitutes sometimes come into the classroom unprepared. Don't interrupt my question again. Most underrated play in USC football history, Mark Culkin. 2009, USC versus UCLA. Uh, Matt Barkley going deep to Damian Williams. That was Pete Carroll's last game against UCLA. Ah, after the the kneel down timeout? Yes. Fantastic answer. Eric McKinney, what is it? 
Physical play, I'm going to say the Adoree Jackson interception against Colorado where he gets his toe barely inbounds while he's out of bounds by like four yards. Unbelievable play. My play that I remember the most, Marcel Allman's sack against UCLA and Mike Patterson returns it for a touchdown. That encapsulates everything that I remember about the Pete Carroll era at USC blowing out UCLA in that game. You gave two plays, so you're disqualified. Uh, the, the, my answer is Rodney P catching Eric Turner in 1987 after Turner's, what should have been a hundred yard pick six. It, it kept USC within 10 and allowed them to defeat Troy Aikman and the Bruins and go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, despite that, I really liked Mark's answer. And so Mark's gave the point this round. He's no longer in negative numbers at the end of round three. We are tight at one. All right, here we go. Who will throw for more yards this coming year, Caleb Williams or Miller Moss? Eric McKinney. Caleb with the extra games, I think, but it'll be tight. Mark? Miller Moss because Caleb will not be starting his first NFL season. Um, The answer is Miller Moss, not because – not because Caleb won't be starting. I think he will start, maybe not the first couple of games. But the truth is, if if Caleb would, the, the, on, the, on the list of rookie passing yards in a season, number seven has 3,700 yards. That means that, that, means that if, if, if you throw for 35, 3,600 yards, you're in the top 10 all time. And I don't think that's going to be enough to have more yards than Miller Moss. So the answer is Miller Moss. I get the point because I got the answer right and I had a better answer than Mark Culkin. I'm ahead 2-1-1. One, one. It's a right, great decision, five. Chris. It's a great decision. I appreciate that. And you're setting yourself up nicely for the next round. Carl Weathers passed away just a few days ago, which makes this question both timely and critical. Best Rocky Balboa opponent. Mark Culkin. Yeah. You don't kill Rocky's best friend. It's Ivan Drago. Period. Ivan Drago. Okay. But give us, you still have 10 seconds. Why Drago? He killed Rocky's best friend in the movie. Okay. Don't kill somebody's best friend and not be the worst person ever. Okay. Eric McKinney, best, best Rocky Balboa opponent. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you take Spider Rico as your answer, which I'm sure you're going with. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Apollo Creed, but I'm saying best as in the best boxer who brought the most into the fight. It, it's Apollo Creed. He was his friend though. He wasn't a villain. Yeah. Well, okay. But he was still, okay. Look, it, 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 this obviously is open to interpretation. It was intended to be. Uh, the answer is not Spider Rico, although Spider Rico is still doing good as Rocky Balboa told people when they asked Here's the thing. The Cold War overlay on the Drago thing was amazing. The fact that the Russian cheated and Rocky didn't. The fact that Rocky fight, he fought for no money. The biggest fight of all time, he said, it's not about the money, which means that he just lets the Russians keep all of it. All of that's amazing. And so that's a good answer. Apollo Creed, also a good answer, because Apollo Creed was by far the best boxer in any of the Rocky movies, Right. Apollo Creed actually looked like he was a fighter. Dolph Lundgren didn't look like a boxer. 23, 24. First of all, you just lost the point. Second, I get to do what I want because I'm the I'm the judge. And, and my clock says I'm still at 12 seconds. It's another great best, decision, Chris. The best, the best Rocky Balboa opponent, Thunderlips, the ultimate male. One point for me, 
minus one for Mark. I'm up three, one to zero. Question number six. It's fourth and five. The Trojans are down four at midfield with two minutes left. All-time USC is playing all-time Alabama, the winner to be named greatest college football program of all time. What play do you call and who is getting the ball? Eric McKinney. Look, no, I mean, no, I mean, no offense to this, but it is not a lateral to Brad Walker at, at any point on this play. So I've got something a little bit drawn up, like what Michigan did to Alabama late in this Rose Bowl game where they got Blake Corum out against kind of a, a mesh look from, from trips, right? So Reggie Bush is in the backfield and he's getting the ball when I create traffic in front of him as he comes out. I've got maybe uh, Robert Woods and Steve Smith running kind of a mesh pattern over the middle. Mike Williams is out wide left, and he's taking everybody downfield. And then I get the ball into into Reggie's hands, hopefully in space, and he's going 50 yards. Great, great answer. Mark Culkin, what is it? So I've got Caleb Williams, a quarterback. i got Marcus Allen and Reggie Bush split backfield. Snap to Caleb. Toss sweep to the right to Marcus Allen, who does not carry the ball. He throws back to his left with Reggie Bush running a wheel route, touchdown, strike up the band. There you go. Holy smokes, fourth and five, the biggest situation ever. Mark Culkin is pulling out circus plays. All right, listen. If he does that, if it works, if it works, everybody's going to be happy with you. If it doesn't work, you get fired. I'm going to call a play that doesn't get me fired if it goes south. This is what I want. I want Carson Palmer, a quarterback. I want Mike Williams split out wide. I want him isolated there. And we're going to run a 50-series, three-step drop pass route. And we're going to do it based on alignment. I feel pretty comfortable with the hitch. I feel pretty comfortable with the fade and the back shoulder throw. And I feel great about the slant. Mike Williams with his size, Carson Palmer with his accuracy. I think I'm getting that 85% of the time. Um, You know what? Mark, because you came up with something crazy and irrational that makes no sense, we're going to go with you that time, 3-1-1. to Number seven, movie that you'll always stop and watch if you're flipping through the channels and you see that it's on. Mark Tolkien. Breakfast Club, Hoosiers, The Searchers. Three three answers, you're disqualified. Eric McKinney. I mean, I, I learned that early. I had a couple written down. I am not giving two. So it it's... A little tough because it does, you, you have to kind of figure out if it's on TV, that's different than the theatrical version, right? So you, you have to take that into account. But I'm, I'm going with Bull Durham. Okay, that's not a bad answer. The answer, though, is Top Gun, and I just won that round, is 4 one All right, make an argument. Eric McKinney, you start. What college football coach of the last 25 years was actually a better college football coach than Nick Saban? So 25 years, I get to go back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the 98 season, too, I think. I'm going to go Larry Karras at Mount Union, who had, let's see, more than one loss in zero seasons between 1995 and 2012. Uh, 11 Division Three national championships and a bunch of undefeated seasons through that whole thing. So that's where I'm going. A fantastic answer. Mark Culkin, who are you going with? Yeah, uh, let's go Pete Carroll, 34-game win streak, three Heismans in five years. He didn't lose to Louisiana Monroe at home in his career. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) And he did all this without having his own car dealership. 
Yes. Yes. Although it's possible that that money may have found its way to players in other ways. But uh, also a good answer. I'm a huge fan of Pete. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Bill Snyder, Kansas State, who walked into the absolute worst train wreck of a program in the history of college football. This is a team that would win one game a year every year. No tradition, no facilities, no money, absolutely no recruiting base and no hope. And he turned them into a top 10 program that was pretty consistently able to, to beat some, some good teams, including physically beat up uh, a USC team under Pete Carroll. Now, it was early Pete Carroll, but still, um, I think Bill Snyder, what Bill Snyder did at K-State is more impressive than what Urban Meyer, Pete Carroll, or Nick Saban did uh, in their stops, I think. So I'm going Bill Snyder. But because Eric came up with the most unanticipated answer eric gets the point he now has two he's still trailing me considerably but he's in the hunt mark is not in the hunt all right next one you must perform on american idol tomorrow what song are you singing mark Holkin. yeah i'm not you could strap a note to my back and i couldn't carry it i am not singing um but if i could sing yeah uh, it would probably be what would you do for love by bobby codwell Ah, okay. Very interesting. Eric McKinney, what are you singing? All right. I'm, I am not going to cop out and invent some alternate universe where I can sing the way Mark did. I'm going to go with my horrible singing voice, right? So you'd think it's an answer like tequila or the bluey theme song where you just yell one word, right? No, I'm not going to do that either. I'm going to go Bon Jovi living on a prayer because. I can mic out to the audience and get people to sing with me and use that a little bit to, to carry the performance. I love it. I By just the way, wrong here and I just freaking tripped out. By the way, if you've seen Bon Jovi in concert anytime in the last 10 years, and I have, he does the same thing. He also can't hit that note anymore. And he lets the audience carry it. Professionals. Forward. It's, it's yeah. a professional trick. Yeah. I, I'm going to go sitting on the dock of the bay, but I'm going to give the point to McKinney because McKinney is already uh, he's already giving professional rock star tips. So kids, if that's what you want to be in life, if you want to be a professional rock star, listen to Eric McKinney. He's got it all figured out. McKinney now has three points. He's knocking on the door. Uh, number 10. And last one. So McKinney, you still have a chance to tie. Not a big chance because I want that hat. But I, ha- I have a feeling that this isn't going to go my way, number 10. Or there's going to be a tiebreaker that you know the answer to. All right. College football program that is seen as a blue blood but really shouldn't be. Eric McKinney. So there's a there's a Def Leppard thing to this where you could just say that's not a blue blood and, and you're wrong. I'm going to say Penn State as as mine i think they get sort of lumped up in there in that top group and i think there's a a clear line between what i have is i think eight eight blue bloods and and then penn state is is down below that's a fine answer that would have been in my top three also mark Culkin, what do you think miami just kick them out you're not you don't become a blue blood when you started playing football in 1980 sorry also a good answer I'm going to give you the opposite of of your answer. Your answer is you haven't been around long enough to be a blue blood. You just started playing yesterday. I'm going to go with Nebraska, which was without question a college football blue blood for a long time, the 50s through through the early 90s, without question. 
but is absolute garbage right now. And unlike some of the other programs that have fallen into disrepair, I don't know, USC, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, some of the others that have struggled, I don't see a path back for Nebraska. I may be wrong. Matt Rule's a great coach, but I don't think there's a path back. So I don't think uh, I don't think they have a chance. Mark Holkin, congratulations! You won that uh, you won that point, which means that I get to keep my hat. But we had uh, we had an exciting close round. You guys did a good job, better than I expected you to do. Frankly, I thought I'd win all ten. Uh, okay, let's move on to uh, let's move on to overtime. You guys have probably already highlighted uh, your answer to this. We can steal one tradition from another college and make it ours. What do you steal? Go ahead. You're gonna have to come up with a new one now. You you already used you already used yours. Mark Culkin, what's it gonna be? We get to steal one. I already used mine. Um, I got to find another one. Uh, can you we can use the same one if you want? Yeah, I, I'm serious. I want to take Wisconsin's jump around. Okay, Wisconsin's of... jump around. Yeah, instead of doing it to begin the fourth quarter, start the second half, getting the crowd revved up. I love it. I I also like that it would actually force USC fans to stand up, which is something that's actually difficult to accomplish. Uh, Okay, good answer. Eric McKinney, do you have a better answer? Yeah, for me, sure. I I believe I do. I I love I I would take anything in between the third and fourth quarter, right? Like the jump around one, but a lot of other schools have ones. I think USC needs one, and it's got to be truthfully. I would love something that sticks all the time. USC feels like, hey, let's try this, let's try this, let's turn the lights off, let's put USC up here, let's do the curtain, let's do the lights off early. Like something that sticks would be good. The tradition I love, I mean, the, the Enter Sandman tradition from Virginia Tech is phenomenal. That that lead up, and it used to be, you had a little bit of the lose yourself feel when USC would run out to that. I don't know if the lights off and what they're doing now where they play the video is is quite the same. I know Chris loves when I give seven answers for this, so... The one I'm going to go with, how about Georgia's winning national championships in the 2020s? That that's that's a tradition I'd I'd love to get to get a part of. That is a nice tradition. Look, McKinney, here's the problem with giving seven answers when I ask for one. When you do that, you give your answer and you also give mine. Mine was mine was Virginia Tech's Mr. Sandman entrance. And I understand that Mr. Sandman is only, what, 32 years old or whatever it is, and that doesn't feel old enough to be a real tradition. But I got to say, that's an amazing song to come out to. The fans are into it. I mean, that's a great entry, and um, and it's much better than what USC has been doing. It's, it's only because you would do this to us. Mr. Sandman by the by the Cordettes is not, does not give you the same feel as Enter Sandman. The, the song, the song that they use. <laughs> I love Mr. Sam. Maybe, maybe at the end of a blowout, me, play that and the other dream, team Mr. leaving. We're going to put you to sleep. Mr. Sam. Bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Yeah. That's not the song I intended, but you're, you called me on it. That is the one I chose. Uh, so hopefully nobody's listening to me. It's just like USC to finally pick up on one of my ideas and choose that one. Uh, all right, guys, anything else that we need to tell people before we leave? This is your last chance. I mean, not ever, but it's your last chance tonight. Yeah, Greg, get back soon. Otherwise, you're going to get Wally pipped. Chris does a really good job hosting. 
Well, there's no chance of that. Eric McKinney, anything? Come on, a word of wisdom, please. No, we're good. Can I? The next time I see you, can I try the hat on? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can try it on. That's, that's it. That's a that's a win enough for me. All right. Well, then we're done. Look, that'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. A big thank you to our panelists, Mark Culkin and Eric McKinney. A big thank you to all of you who are watching or listening out there. Uh, next time, bring your friends. I'd like to. I'd like to see our numbers go up. I don't know if they deserve to, but I'd still like to see it. Click on the like button, whether you liked it or not. Have a great weekend. Until next uh, Tuesday, this is your guest moderator, your substitute teacher, Chris Arledge, saying bye on, everybody.